Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 49 of the Morning Round Trip podcast. My name is Drew Frank, joined here on Jackie Robinson Day by my co-host Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And here on August 28th, as I mentioned, the makeup Jackie Robinson Day moved from its traditional year-by-year date just because, of course, we weren't playing baseball that early on, but... We continued last night from what we saw the night before as we saw plenty more games boycotted by players as they chose to sav out to divert attention away from Major League Baseball and to instead the social situation surrounding the United States right now. There are plenty of games postponed. Boston-Toronto is one. Oakland-Texas, Philly-Washington, Baltimore-Tampa, Minnesota-Detroit. And then there are two that have extra little footnotes on them. Colorado and Arizona was postponed. Trevor Story put out a quote to the media saying that their clubhouse regretted playing the night before. Matt Kemp sat out, but the rest of the team went on to play. So they corrected that by electing early on to sit out for yesterday's game. And then Miami and the Mets, there's a lot going on in this situation. Because on MLB's app, MLB at bat, There was a live stream that went up of the Mets press room, and the people in the press room didn't know that. So Brody Brody Van Wagenen was on mic live and saying things that were supposed to be kept behind closed doors, but he ends up going on to talk about how the Mets don't want to play the game, but the... Their owner, Jeff Wilpin, and his interpretation of Commissioner Rob Manfred want the game done because of scheduling, because of how much is at stake here with the shortened season. And he goes on to say that Rob Manfred just doesn't get it. From a leadership level, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the scope of what's going on here and says quite a bit about, you know, what he feels the Rob Manfred might not be capable of in his current position. But they go on to take the field, as was suggested by Jeff Wilpin, the owner, and they walk off the field at 7.10 after all the Mets and Marlins take their positions in the field, you know, get up to the batter's box. And from what we heard in the league conversation, the Mets owner was hoping they would come back at 8.10 to finish the game off, but instead they walked off the field, placed a Black Lives Matter shirt on home plate, and decided not to come back. Very powerful statement to see the Mets doing this. The visual is very strong, especially in the empty stadium. Just dead silence. Really, really powerful. But (laughs) a whole, whole lot going on surrounding this. I think this situation highlights the, I guess, general feeling that a lot of people have around baseball about Rob Manfred and his position as commissioner of baseball. He's a guy who has not done himself any favors whether that be the recent Trevor Bauer situation with the Joe Kelly cleats. There's nothing offensive on those cleats, but Manfred has the league inform him that if Trevor Bauer goes out and wears those, then he will be suspended and fined and all this fun stuff that wasn't highlighted in their previous player agreement to allow uh, players to wear whatever they wanted on their cleats. Obviously, the situation where the Houston Astros were not punished directly for their cheating, there's no other way to say it, uh, and their route to the World Series a couple of years ago. And it's just, it 
it highlights the fact that no one really has any confidence in Rob Manfred to do his job competently. And, and we, we understand that it obviously didn't come from Rob Manfred that this game uh, was to be picked back up at 8-10. Uh, that was more internally in the Mets organization, but it shows you a lot when their GM is jumping the gun to blame the commissioner of baseball for just something else going wrong this year. <laughs> And that's that's important to note. That's why I said that it was perceived as something Rob Manfred had said. He didn't actually suggest that they leave the field, come back, and get the game in because they need to get games played. That was the Mets owner that said that. But, as you mentioned, that belief from Brody Van Wagenen that that actually had came from Rob Manfred leads him to say that that's Rob's instinct and leads him to say that at the leadership level, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And those quotes, that doesn't happen over one thing. That builds up. That speaks to what they expect from him, how they perceive him. And like you said, really highlights that there is a broader issue surrounding Rob Manfred. And probably the likeliness that he maintains his role as commissioner. There's a whole lot going around the league, the players, and evidently the front offices not necessarily having the most belief in him. Just while we're on the Rob Manfred thing, this is completely unrelated, but I might as well throw it in there because this really struck me as just bizarre. He was interviewed by an L.A. newspaper, and they asked him what would be an ideal finish to the season, what would make 2020 a success, and his quote word for word is this. I think I would define a successful 2020 season if we make it all the way through the playoffs and manage to hand the World Series trophy to some lucky owner. That's not what most some lucky owner who who thinks like that who talks like that I mean no one no one remembers the owners you want to know who talks like that the guy who says that the the World Series trophy is a piece of metal that's who he, he <laughs> dude because you know you know exactly what this means to me to me this means oh I want to give this to a franchise that doesn't have marquee name value so we can start playing them on Sunday nights we can put them on ESPN and it'll be it'll matter it'll it'll be important for this team dude I. Like, like, this is essentially saying that you don't want any of the World Series favorite teams to win this trophy, is what that means, because he, he's more interested in, in the market, he's more interested in the owners, he's more interested in, in the revenue that the team has the potential to generate as a new World Series winner, like, like the, he's talking about the Marlins winning it, or, or the, the Jays winning it, he's not interested in the Cubs, or in the Dodgers, or in a team like that, like, I, I just, this guy boggles the mind sometimes with the things that he says. And just the idea of handing the trophy to an, a lucky owner. I can't even picture, I, I have no idea who the last owner that won it was. I mean, that's not what baseball's about. That's not what the game's about. But either way, just had to throw that in there. Just continuing to add on to the pile of questionable statements that uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll phrase it as what we've heard from Rob Manfred. But back to the broader topic, back to the more important topic than the owners winning World Series. Back to the issues of social injustice, and we heard our first tangible pledge of any money being donated, because right now what the athletes do or have done so far is realize they have a platform and they're using it to bring recognition to a more important cause than a bunch of men playing baseball, and now we're actually seeing some progression there, where first you have to start by bringing awareness to the issue, but now we've seen a hundred current black players pledging their salaries for yesterday and today's games to the Players Alliance. 
I expect that'll kind of be a foundation, and I would be shocked if we didn't see more players from all different teams and walks of life joining them. And this money per a press release is going to towards supporting our efforts, our being the Player Alliance, to combat racial inequality and aid black families and communities deeply affected in the wake of recent events. So, of course, you love to see the starts with recognition, with speaking out, with making statements, and it's nice to see that this has continued forwards and the donations and the contributions have advanced to a point of tangibility. So some good progress there. And quickly, a last unrelated note before we wrap up our news segment. We saw our first big-ish trade. I I guess I'd say this is big-ish as the Jays acquire Taiwan Walker. This isn't going to change too, too much. I think if he's healthy, he slots in as a 3-4 guy for the Jays behind Shoemaker and Ryu, but a guy with some serious upside. And I think he's kind of an ideal rental because a guy that's got long-term health issues and has had trouble staying healthy, but you're trading for him now. You only need him for two months. I mean, for two months, you can take a gamble that his health's going to be okay, right? I think so. And Taiwan Walker is a guy who's not exactly making a ton of money. And with the prorated salaries that we're seeing this year, and we're about halfway through the year, you're only paying about half of what he was going to end up getting this year anyways. Right. So I think that for the Jays, this is a good move on a couple of fronts. You fill in a spot where you've seen some unfortunate injuries. We saw Trent Thornton get shut down for the season. So obviously that opens up a spot in the rotation. And after all the Jays starter injuries that we've seen, I think Taiwan Walker's a really smart decision now. Does he get hurt in a Jays uniform? Obviously, you hope not. You never hope for injuries, but I think this is a really strong rental from the Jays, and maybe this is a bit of a sense of now the Jays are going to start becoming buyers again. I mean, it's been a couple of years since we've seen the Jays not only be buyers at the trade deadline, but also uh, during the offseason, so maybe this is where the shift begins to happen again. They start to, to change the mindset from guys who are selling, like we saw Stroman get moved, to now a team that's beginning to acquire some pieces to try to make some playoff runs. Well, and I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen more trades by now from around the rest of the league. It's August 28th, so I'd expect the next few days we'll have at least one or two trades to report on. But either way, maybe that'll start to open the floodgates because I would expect to see a lot of starting pitchers moving. Now, last night we saw none of our predicted games get played out, but we did see eight other teams in actions. There were four pairs of double headers yesterday, six of the eight teams that played had sat out the day before so they had a chance to make their statement the day before the other two teams were because St. Louis is there and of course there's extreme pressure from them from the front office from the league to try and get their games in after sitting out for two weeks but still the Cardinals were able to contribute their statement by having Dexter Fowle or Jack Flaherty some very vocal players boycotting their previous game and helping to spread that awareness but what we saw on the field Some interesting baseball. We saw Cincinnati beat Milwaukee in straight sets, 6-1, 6-love, as the two teams end up splitting their 2-2 series. Jesse Winker, a guy who we really haven't talked about as much as he deserves, he has been a star this year, thriving as a DH for this Reds team. One of their best players, probably their best player so far, despite the performances we've seen on the mound. He continues last night and combined between his two games, goes five for seven, two home runs, four RBIs, scores three times, draws a walk, and helps bring this Reds team up to tied with the Brewers at 13 and 17. 
that's really going to help them. We also saw the number five team in the Central sweep the number two team in the Central in their doubleheader as Pittsburgh beat the Cardinals 4-3 and then beat them again 2-0, the first one in extra innings. And Pittsburgh has been doing great playing spoiler in the Central. I mean, I guess I should clarify, in their Central, in the American League, they've lost eight in a row. But (laughs) when they're playing within their own division, they've now won five in a row and six of their last seven. And now, after seeing yesterday, both the four and five teams beating the two and three teams back-to-back in the Central, this division gets even closer. Yeah, and we've talked about the the fact that the Cubs have sort of slowed down after starting out really hot atop the Central. But I mean, man, both races in the Central divisions in the American and National Leagues have just continued to heat up as of late. I mean, like when you have Pittsburgh playing spoiler, that's not where those players want to be. Every year you want to be competing to win. That's just the reality of baseball. You get into the sport because you want to win championships. Uh, but hey, if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, sometimes you got to take what you can get. And if you can continue to knock off teams in your own division, you might find yourself in a position to make a playoff run. Uh, that being said, you look at the other side of what's going on there. The Cincinnati Reds have sort of stumbled a little bit. We've talked about how unlucky they've been uh, because they're putting the ball in play. They're making good contact, just they're not getting the results they need. Uh, Jesse Winker obviously being the exception so far this year, but I think that just with the games and the way that these central games are going to play out, uh, especially in in division, I do think that there's going to be some some really interesting uh, games as we come down the stretch here in the second half of the season. We also saw two pretty good shows out west. First, looking at the Dodgers-Giants series, where the Dodgers combined between the two games shut out the Giants as they won seven nothing, then two nothing. Kershaw six shutout innings from him as he keeps it going, making a great resurgence in 2020. And we saw out west tons of excitement. Man, we really have to unpack this San Diego game. So they split the doubleheader. San Diego wins the first game, Seattle wins the second game. Seattle, with the series split, moves to third in that AL West, ahead of the Angels, ahead of the Rangers, two teams that thought they'd be competing, didn't think they'd be behind Seattle. But this first game, there's so much here. So it finishes 10-7, and between both games, Machado hits three home runs. He's up to 11 on the season. He has been red hot. But what we see in this first game, even though there's only seven innings, there's so much action. So Tatis... Hits his 13th of the year, becomes the second player ever to hit one off of the top of the Western Metal Supply Company building, which is in left field right in the corner. If anyone's familiar with Petco Park, that same corner where Bartolo Colon hit his home run. That made it 3-3 after 6. And in a 7-inning game, that's huge. They go into the 7th. Seattle scores four in the top of the seventh off of three RBI ground balls that just kind of squeak through and a sack fly. And the Padres come up, bottom of the seventh, first two guys get out, and then with two outs, they put up a seven-run rally to come all the way back with their backs against the wall and win this game 10-7. to Just absolutely crazy, crazy stuff. They cap it off with a Will Myers three-run shot, and this Padres team just, it seems like you can't do anything to stop them. What's the Yogi Berra quote? It isn't over till it's over. Man, these both of these teams exercise their ability to uh, show off a little bit of, of run production in the late innings. I mean, we mentioned, obviously, Seattle with the four spot in the top seventh to go up seven to three. But 
man, this, this Padres team has been so, so hot. And, and obviously we've talked about Fernando Tatis Jr. at length. We've talked about his offensive firepower and his defensive ability. Uh, but Manny Machado has just found another gear recently. He's playing the best baseball he's played so far in San Diego. And and this is just great to see. I think Manny Machado is a guy who who brings a lot of excitement to the ballpark every day. This Padres team is just so fun to watch, man. I mean, Jake Cronenworth coming out of nowhere to compete for National League Rookie of the Year. Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr., like we've said. Trent Grisham has been mashing the baseball recently. And, and I mean, that starting pitching staff, like Paddock is so fun to watch. Lamette throws absolute cheddar. And, and just you have so many guys on that Padres team. And those uniforms are awesome. I mean, what's there not to like about the San Diego Padres ball club? Yeah, this team just seems unstoppable right now. But I, I, I want to give a shout out to the, the White Sox. We didn't mention them today. We barely mentioned them before. They continue to be red hot. And now they've got a series against the Royals coming up. And we'll start with our predictions there. They could keep this win train going. They're heavy favorites probably in this series. But they start the series off with Reynaldo Lopez on the mound tonight. A guy I have never really trusted. He's got the stuff but not the command. Going up against Danny Duffy. I'm going to take Duffy in this one. And I'll take the Royals over the White Sox no matter how hot they've been. Ooh, this is a tough call, man. The The Chicago White Sox hit lefties probably as good as anyone in Major League Baseball, and the White Sox have been so, so hot, like we've said. I think regardless of how Lopez pitches in this one, his offense is going to power the White Sox to a victory. Well, we'll see if either offense will be able to get going in Arizona tonight. Once again, Zach Allen looks for history. We mentioned it on yesterday's show. If he can surrender three earned runs or fewer, he'll have sole possession of a major league record for the most starts to begin your career with that mark or less allowed in each start. And he goes up against the Giants, who are throwing Tyler Anderson out there. Last time Tyler Anderson faced the Diamondbacks, he went a complete nine innings, only giving up one run that was unearned, and that was just last week. So he's looking good. He is ready to face them. It's going to be exciting. Should be lots of good pitching. Who you got in this one? Hey, man, the, the San Francisco Giants, uh, we've, we've talked about the, them coming off of a, a hot streak where they won seven in a row. Now they've lost two straight, and they don't play exceptionally well on the road, and Zach Allen has just been so lights out for the Arizona Diamondbacks this year. I think I go D-backs over Giants. I'll agree with you there. I like Zach Gallon a lot. I want to see him get that record. I, it would be brutal if he goes 20-plus starts, three earned runs or less, and then he loses it right at the very end before he takes sole possession. So I'm hoping for him. I'm pulling for him, and I think I got the Diamondbacks. And finally, interleague matchup in the Central as Tristan McKenzie takes on Daniel Ponce de Leon. And these, this is a reeling Cardinals team. You lose two back-to-back to the Pirates, and you need a statement. They're home against the Indians. But I think Tristan McKenzie shuts them down again. I've got Cleveland, and I'm going to ride the young, hot arm. I really liked what I saw from Tristan McKenzie in his first big league start. And I mean, anytime you punch out 10 in your big league debut, you're going to gather some eyes. So I think Tristan McKenzie probably rides that hot arm that he's got, and he's going to move that fastball all around the zone. And I think that the Indians are going to be able to beat the Redbirds in this one. Well, that'll be our show. You can catch those three games all tonight. The Cardinals and White Sox host their game at 8.10 p.m. Eastern, and the Arizona Diamondbacks kick theirs off a little later at 9.40 p.m. Eastern with that West Coast time. But we'll be right back here tomorrow to recap all of those. We'll let you know if Zach Allen got history. We'll let you know if Trist McKenzie followed up his stunning first career appearance with another great one or a bit of a clunker. 
You can catch all of that on our episode tomorrow as we hit the half-century mark with episode number 50. But for now, for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, have a great day, everyone.